like we can learn in multiple different ways, but I think the lessons that stick with us the most are, are painful lessons. Welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. My name is Mike Flynn, and I am honored to be your host. Our mission here on the Impact Entrepreneur Show is not just to inspire you, but also to help you tap into and begin to believe in your God-given potential and purpose. That's right, baby. We want you to not only be inspired, but experience breakthrough. And we do that on this podcast by interviewing incredible people who are using their experiences, their skill set, their platforms to have a game-changing impact in the lives of others. And here's the thing. None of these folks are simply sitting back, living a life of leisure. They have things to do, places to go, and lives to impact. Speaking of that, Remy Adilake's life changed abruptly when his father died. When his family went from being royalty in Nigeria to struggling to feed themselves in the Bronx, the public education system was so poorly resourced and Remy was exposed to precious few role models in his early life. As a result, he didn't feel that there was an expectation for him to even graduate from high school. It seemed the only path available was stealing, selling drugs, and running scams. But when Remy hit rock bottom at age 26, he realized he needed something bigger than himself. That's when he met Tiana Reyes, a military recruiter who helped him find his true path. Tiana was also from the Bronx, so she was passionate about helping to give young people from the same neighborhood that she grew up in an opportunity to establish a career and explore the world because she knew that not many other people would give them a chance. Tiana attended multiple court hearings to advocate for Remy and help him fill out the paperwork to get him into the Navy. Once in Navy boot camp, Remy was exposed to all of the different programs he could pursue in the Navy, and his heart became set on becoming a Navy SEAL. But it wasn't a slam dunk. He did not pass the academic test on his first attempt, and even if he had, he wouldn't have passed the physical test because he did not know how to swim. But Remy's mother always taught him to persevere, and he drew on that to train and study in the time outside of his role as a medic. The hard work paid off, and Remy was ultimately accepted into Navy SEAL training. Now, in addition to fulfilling his dream of becoming a Navy SEAL, Remy is an actor, an entrepreneur, writer, husband, and father. He has written a memoir about his life called Transformed and even volunteers today as a mentor for kids in similar situations to the one he was in. He believes that the past does not have to be a template for our future and that there's always hope, and that in some cases, you could be helping a person so much that you're actually hurting them because you're enabling them to keep doing what they're not supposed to be doing. As for all of the hardships and setbacks and failures in his life, Remy says they made him who he is today because none of us can grow without failure. All you have to do is type in Remy's name in Google and you will see a list of all of the achievements and accommodations that he's received, both in his post-military career, but more importantly, in his military career from from the Navy, from the Marine Corps, and from the Army. 
There are a couple spots in this episode where the audio isn't the best and brightest, but don't let it deter you from leaning in and learning from Remy because this is a powerful conversation. So with that in mind, bust out your pens and paper, take some notes, and brace for impact. Remy Adeleke, welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show, brother. Very excited to host you. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. It's an honor to be on, brother. Very first question is one of my favorite questions to ask of every single guest is who was your childhood hero? Who was my childhood hero? I would say uh, bad boys. <laughs> bad boys? Yeah. Like, like uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, movie character? Mike, yeah, Mike Larry and Marcus Burnett. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, because I wanted to be like them, man. They were, after I saw that film, I was like, man, I want to be heroes like they are. <laughs> That's what what stuck out to you about the way that they approached life. They, they were just like me. I mean, they were down to earth. They were, you know, suave, smooth. They weren't rigid heroes. I mean, I mean, when you look back to the eighties, I'm not saying that the heroes of the eighties were rigid, but none of them looked like me, right? None of them came from the background I came from. So, like to see these guys who kind of had a similar background like mine, and they were like regulars. Street dudes, in my opinion. Yeah, that was yeah. pretty cool for me. Yeah. yeah, totally. You know, and, and you bring up your background. You don't have the typical background of, yeah. of most people. You know, uh, you, you, your father, your Nigerian royalty is your is your background, right? Yeah. yeah. And and your and you know, people are going to re- learn more about your story when they buy your book, and 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 you can fill in the blanks. But your, your father passes away, mm-hmm. and the Nigerian government kicks you out and the next day basically in short order you're a nobody in the bronx yeah 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 i mean what i mean in terms of your identity like what how did you even manage that yeah well you know all kind of goes back to my mom and just to back up a little bit um my mom left the nigerian government stripped our family of everything my father died and so uh, my mom, she's, she's American and uh, still is American, <laughs> still around, thank God. Uh, but she was just like, there's no way I'm raising my kids here in Africa, you know, especially for all the corruption that was going on at the time. And even to this day, there's a lot of corruption in Nigeria. And, uh, and so she moved my brother and I permanently to the, to, to the Bronx, New York City. What that transition was like, uh, you know, honestly, I can't give you an answer because my, it was, well, I can't give you an answer. It was seamless. Um, and I say that because my mom did a great job of, of masking the reality of what had happened. She's a super strong woman, um, very highly intelligent. And, you know, she knew that if we fully understood what was happening, um, then we could possibly break down. And if we broke down, and she would break down. And she would, break, it would, just, it would just create this never-ending cycle. Um, so as a matter of fact, I remember the day she told me my father died. Like, she did it in such a calming way without crying or anything. That me and my brother, you know, especially being five, my, well, my brother was six and I was five at the time. Us being that age, we didn't fully understand death. But, you right. know, she had said it in such a common way that we just went back to playing as if nothing happened, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, to answer your question, you know, what was it like? Uh, it was it was seamless. It, it wasn't until I was about eight years old that I began to really realize what happened. Because I began to see things as a kid, you know, and not just see things, but I began to understand more. So I would understand as my mom would go to the rent office and ask for extra extra few days to pay the rent that she 
she doesn't have money. I would understand that, that, you know, when my mom had to split food between my brother and I and she didn't eat, it was because she had only just, just enough food for my brother and I. She didn't have money, you know. And, mm. and you know, I would understand, you know, having to wash um, my underwears and socks in the sink with a large bar of ivory soap because, you know, my mom didn't have enough money for us to do laundry. We didn't have enough money. So as I began to see it, I began to understand it. So I began to understand it. And I was just like, oh, wow, like this is our life. Um, my dad's not here and uh, what's going on. Did you have, like, as you became more cognizant of the reality that you were in, in your eight-year-old brain, were you able to reflect back to your time in Nigeria and say, Some, we had stuff when we were there and now we don't? No, absolutely. I was able to make that connection um, for sure, you know, because we, we had a lot in that. I mean, my dad was a millionaire, <laughs> you know, yeah. so we had a lot. And, uh, and you know, your money went a lot further in Nigeria than it did in the United States. So, um, no, I was absolutely able to make connection. And I remember, I don't know if you get this, I remember um, in a room, one of the things that my mom kept was this file cabinet that was my dad's. And uh, in it, well, there was a lot of paperwork, but one of them, and it was a checkbook with checks in there. And uh, I just remember seeing all of these checks as a kid. And I was just like, this is money. Like, this is, I found, I found our dad's money. That's not your government. And I didn't understand that you needed to take those checks and, and deposit them. And, and on the other end of that, that check needed to be money in the account, which there was no money there. So, um, you know, yeah, I absolutely was able to make a connection. And that's when I really, I, I wished that life was different. I wish that we had a different life. And, you know, fast forward, you, you start to make some decisions while you're living there to earn money, uh, yeah. not necessarily in the, you know, the, the most ethical way. <laughs> but but you, you, you've got a lot of things going on, I would imagine. You've got, you know, a son who loves his mother, who wants to help. Yeah. You've got no... Your dad's not there, obviously. So there's other men that are are coming into your life and influencing you. So why don't you take us down that journey? Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, instinctively, and you know, I just started searching for a father and, and, and things. And uh, at that time, in the late '80s and early '90s, hip hop culture was very prevalent. Um, you know, rap was had just blown up. And so I was able to look at these men who, you know, look like me, kind of like joked about the, you know, Bad Boys movie. I was able to, you know, look at these men who look like me and came from the same background I came from. And, you know, they grew up in the same parent homes like I did. And I was able to kind of take what they were saying and use it as a blueprint for my life. Um, because I didn't have any other school. I, I didn't like going to school. Um, and the, the public education system where I grew up was really, really bad. You know, and the expectation for, for kids in the Bronx um, even graduate high school was not there. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was just expected for uh, you know for me to drop out. It was expected for me to not go to college. You know, that was just the standard. And you could tell, you know, just being in the classrooms that the teachers they didn't expect much of us at all. And uh, and so I, I never had examples of, of of what it meant to be a man. I never had examples of of, of what it meant to to be an upstanding citizen and, and be able to achieve a life and have a family as a doctor or a lawyer or, you know, uh, a businessman or, you know, or whatever. And so 
you know, I followed the examples that I did have. And, you know, that led me, that's what ultimately led me into crime, you know, stealing and, and any way I could and, and selling drugs and, and, and running high level scams. And, you know, I work in, I work in, uh, I volunteer uh, with a nonprofit out here uh, called City Hope and they're based out of alcohol, actually. And, um, you know, being with these kids who are, who are just making some of the same decisions that I made, it's easy for me not to judge them because I understand where they're coming from. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm not justifying what they do. I don't, I don't agree with what they do, but I can kind of empathize with why they're doing what they're doing because, you know, to them, it's, it's like, this is my way to spot. This is all mm-hmm. I can ever do to spot. And mm-hmm. that, was, that was just my mindset. And so, you know, ultimately, you know, that's what I, I, I fell in the front. And uh, I'm not proud of it at all. Uh, but you know, it, 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 it kind of played a role in me being 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 where I'm saying, and uh, you know, getting through all, a lot of things I've got in my life. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I would imagine too some of the decisions that played into ultimately going down that path was a desire to be seen, to feel like you mattered, to feel like you had some sort of influence. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, that too. That too. I mean, affirmation. Um, I truly believe that, you know, every boy needs that affirmation from his father because, you know, I just believe that's the way we're designed and and girls as well. You know, girls need affirmation from from their dad so that, you know, they're not seeking it from some guy (laughs) that's supposed to be seeking it from later. And, uh, and because I never received affirmation from a father, I just naturally needed to go get affirmation from the world, from my boys, from, you know, people in the streets, from girls, you know, from people in school. I just, I just hunger for that affirmation. That's why even now as a father, you know, it's interesting because I even see my kids, they're yeah. hungry for affirmation, not from mom, from dad. Yeah. And I give it to them. I give them so much affirmation and, and it, it, it satisfies them. And the reason why I do that is I never want them to try and seek affirmation something or someone else you know mm-hmm. i have four kids yeah and uh the same thing you know they 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 desire my attention yeah. and 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 it's just tangentially speaking you know we're both busy guys running businesses doing things phones bl- blowing up all the time yeah yeah we've got to make a, a conscious effort to put that thing down yes, and like that's... look them in the eye you yeah. know yeah, no, that's the that's the most affirming thing. Eye contact, right? No, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. One of those. And my kid, he, uh, my oldest, he um, he won uh, student of the week, you know, uh, last week. So they did like an award. Oh, right on. They do it every week, and uh, like just me being there for that, like you know, yeah, he won it. He was happy, but by me being there to see him receive that award. Because he's five, you know, it, it, it just it meant so much more to him. You know what I mean? And yeah. uh, you know, again, you know, you're absolutely right. You know, my old, my youngest. Sometimes when I'm working, like my my not my youngest, but my middle, um, he doesn't understand the concept of time. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, like when I and, and I, I try to cut my work day at four thirty sometimes, uh, and he'll come in my office at like three thirty and be like, "Daddy, let's play. It's time to play." And I'm yeah. like, no, I still have another hour. He's like, Daddy, you're always working. Like, stop, stop. I was like, oh, it's because this is my work time, you know? But what I'll do in those moments, you know, when it gets upset, I'll just stop working. Like, even if it's for like 
two, three minutes just to hop yeah. them and just, you know, be like, hey, it's yeah. all good. Like, that's it's all the best. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the best. It's the that's best. That's why I love working from home. You know, this, you know, my kids, if they were here now, they would be running in. in the yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. 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 Whenever uh, I've been a guest on Larry's show as well, and, and all, all his kids are running in and out all the time when he's yeah. doing his interviews. You know, you are a man of faith. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's clear that that's an important part of your life. And I'd be curious to know who the people were that instilled that in you. I, I would imagine that it was your mother. And I think your grandmother was a, a woman of faith as well, too, right? Yeah, they were. But, you know, um, at the age I was at when they were being a spiritual influence uh, uh, within my life or, you know, exposing me to spirituality, um, I was totally turned off to it. You know, I didn't. You know, I, you know, I didn't want anything to do with God. I didn't want anything to do with religion. I didn't want anything to do with anything faith related. You know, and part of it was I saw some hypocrisy. You know, at a young age, you know, in the church, and that kind of turned me off. Um, so as I got older, you know, there was there was no faith influence at all. Uh, it wasn't until you know years later, when I was twenty six. Um, that I hit rock bottom. And my brother, he had, he had become a Christian when he was about 21, and he would never preach to me at all because he knew how turned off I was uh, to Christianity. And, uh, and, but he would tell me once in a while, you know, when you hit rock bottom, you know, just remember to cry out to Jesus, you know? Mm. And so um, when I was 26 and I, I hit rock bottom and I tried everything else, you know, I tried forcing my will, I tried other religious practices, I just tried everything and, and nothing worked. And I was just falling like deep into depression. They were, I mean, you know the story, there were, there were more circumstances around that I don't want to give away his book, but uh, that's when that was, it, it wasn't a person, so to speak, that influenced me. It was a decision that I made because I realized that I needed something bigger than myself and everything that I had tried that I thought was bigger than myself did not work. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm a, you know, I'm a Christian as well. And I think that one of the, and I talk about faith all the time on, yeah. on my show. And, and I think that there are six bridges to personal growth and well being. And the first one is faith. Yeah. And the faith is an interesting thing because it actually is the, the middle part to the word confidence as well, yeah. right? which, which people want. People want confidence, yeah. right? Yeah, it takes faith to have confidence. Absolutely, and it takes living with faith and acting with faith in order to be confident. And one of the moments that I love that about in Scripture is the moment when Jesus saves that woman, the prostitute, from being yeah. stoned. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and he says to her that, and I'm paraphrasing, but if people want to go look at it, it's in the Gospel of John in chapter eight. But he says. You know, I'm not going to condemn you. I don't condemn you. But go and sin no more, right? And so I'm very curious about words, like specifically the words that the origin of words. And so I went and I researched like the word for sin that Jesus used in that moment. Actually, it's etymological. Yes, something like that. Yeah, Yeah. it means off the mark. And how many of us are making decisions each and every day that are off the mark from who we were created to be, mm-hmm. right? But all it takes is one person's generosity to change everything. Absolutely. 
And you're doing that for the kids at City of the Hope, yeah. City Hope Ministries. And P.O. Reyes did it for you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, that, and that's why I do it because, and not just for City Hope, I'm in jails, I go to prisons, I, uh, you know, I'm, I, I try because I feel like Tiana, you know, for the P.O. Reyes, Tiana's the first name, you know, she did something for me to completely change the trajectory of my life, you know, mm-hmm. by, you know, taking me to those judges and, you know, fudging the paperwork to get me in the military. And, you know, it's my duty now. Like, it, it became my duty after I came to faith in Christ. All right, life is not about you anymore. I mean, it's about serving people. So, but even more so, like, I, every day I'm like, okay, I have my goals, my personal goals, but first, like, my main goal is to serve my wife and my kids. And then after that, it's the, how can I use my platform, my resources, the things that I went through to serve other people? Yeah. And Tiana really instilled that in me. Yeah, I want to stay with Tiana for a minute because uh, something you don't know about me is that I'm an my dad was an army officer. Okay, Uh, he's a Vietnam vet, uh, and he was also the recruiting commander for Santa Clara County. Okay, right next door to me, to my right, through that painting there is the Army Recruiting Office. Oh wow! Downstairs to the to the left is the Marine Corps Recruiting Office. And we used to have the Navy and the Air Force in this building as well. So I'm surrounded by recruiters. Yeah, and I know this, the pressure that they are under to put recruits in boots, you know? Yeah. And, but at the same time, like, there's cert, like the Navy right now has a waiting list. The Air Force has a waiting list. And so, like, I know but, but, well, I mean, for, in this area, I guess. But yeah. when you... Think about P.O. Reyes or Tiana, you know, like, did you ever ask her, like, why did you do that for me? No, I didn't. Yeah, I I didn't. I mean, uh, I found out after, I found out a year ago why she did it for me because I was, I was writing, I had finished writing the book. I'm trying to get my math right on time. I I had finished writing the book and I was on my way to Atlanta and Crazy stories, more to the story. I won't go down a whole road, but long story short, she had died. She died. Yeah. You know, so she died four years after sneaking me into the Navy. And I didn't know she died. I, I found out after I finished writing the book because I went to go, you know, research her and, and, and you know, um, I'm researching her family. It's more to the story. Yeah. I don't want to go down the road. But anyway, I, uh, on my way to Atlanta, I started Googling, you know, her name and her family members' names to try to find somebody. Uh, and I'm not going to land and try to find somebody going to land for, to actually go stand in front of a judge and advocate on the behalf of this kid who's about to get sentenced to prison um, because I was working on this documentary and uh, they wanted me to come help out. And so I'm on my plane, getting plane getting ready to fly to Atlanta. And uh, I Google this one name, I call it, and, it's, and, and, and this woman answers. And I'm like, hey, I know this is crazy. I'm just trying to get in contact with somebody who's related to Tiana Reyes. And uh, the lady said, well, I'm her cousin. And I said, awesome. I said, you know, is there any way I can be connected to her mom, her brother? I, you know, I know she has a daughter. And uh, she said, yeah, I'll connect you with her brother. Uh, let me have him call you back in five minutes. And I was just like, well, my flight is about to take off. So, you know, he, I, won't be able to, I won't be able to receive this call. And she said, uh, where are you going? I said, well, I'm flying to Atlanta. She said, he moved to Atlanta. He lives in Atlanta. 
Whoa. The odds, you know, I'm on my way to go like advocate, stand in front of a judge the way Tiana did and her brothers in like literally in the area where where I need to go and uh, where I'm on a plane going to. And so I landed in Atlanta and by the time I landed, he had called me and, and gave me his address and I had the driver take me to his house and we spent about three hours in his house. And we just talked and he explained to me that, you know, she, you know, she was, he's from the Bronx. She was from the Bronx. They grew up in Quad City, uh, not too far from where I grew up. And uh, uh, she, her being from the Bronx, when she, after she did her, you know, her C-duty time, she wanted to come back and be a recruiter because she wanted to get, she wanted kids from where we're from to be able to see that the military is a great avenue. And, and, and for them to see the opportunities and how they can establish a career and have a life and get out of the Bronx and travel the world. And, uh, and so he told me that that was her main goal. And another thing she would do, which I didn't know was she would drive around the Bronx and, and connect with guys who she grew up with who were selling drugs or who was doing illegal stuff and say, listen, I see where your life is going. Come with me so that you can join the military and get out of here. And she even did it for him where he had a misdemeanor. Uh, he got charged with a misdemeanor before I can't remember what it was. And she came back, this is before she became a recruiter, she came back home to the Bronx, worked with the Air Force recruiter to get him in the Air Force. Her brother? Her brother. Oh, you know, wow. So this is just what she did. You know, she, she knew that nobody else would give people like us an opportunity coming from where we came from, especially being a minority. She knew that, you know, we wouldn't get an opportunity from anybody else, from any other recruiter. So she made her a business to take that job to be able to give opportunities. So I, I was blessed to be, you know, guided. That's why I always believe in that day. You know, I, when I heard that voice tell me to join the military, I, I truly believe it was God. But, you know, I truly believe that I was specifically and strategically guided to her, you know, because she, she took a huge risk. And, you know, again, I would not be where I'm at today if she didn't do what she did to sneak me into the name, you know. But yeah. that, that, that's why she did it. Yeah, that's powerful. You know, it's one of my mentors, and I'm totally going to butcher what he says, but he, he yeah. always says that. When we get on path, we will meet people who have been waiting for us on that path all along. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. And, that's, true. that's true. And and she was that. And you are that to yeah. the many others, right? And yeah, I try to be that. Yeah. I would imagine that when you if you're looking at the moment before you're at rock bottom, you know, yeah. and then and then now you have this relationship to Christ, the conversation that you're having with yourself are on opposite ends. The one that you were having yeah, before yeah, yeah. and the yeah. one that you're having now about what you can accomplish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's totally think, different. Yeah, a big part of that is because, you know, the Spirit and the Holy Spirit is there just guiding me and, and opening up my potential and comforting me. And, and, you know, even to this day, man, like I have bad days just like you have bad days. You know what I mean? Right. I have those moments where I'm just like, oh, man, things are not working out. Things are gone. And, you know, what I have now that I didn't have before is hope. Mm-hmm. I have hope in the fact that, you know what, things may not be going my way, but God has a plan. Yeah. And, you know, I, you know, I may not understand that plan, but when I look back on my life and I see how his plan has been perfectly executed, which led to me being where I'm at today, I have hope that his plan is great. Totally. Yeah. So, and I have to say that like, even today, you know, I was going through something, I'm just like, man, like, 
what's going on, Lord? <laughs> like, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and, you know, I can't rely on my, my intellect. I, you know, I have a massive degree. I can't rely on the fact that I was a Navy SEAL. I can't rely on the fact that I'm a writer. I just got to rely on the fact that, you know, God is good. You know, and, yeah, you know, totally, man. And, and talk about generosity. Like, he is the most generous, right? And, and we could, I could, I mean, I could, we could talk, all, we could spend this whole entire conversation talking about God's generosity and, and leaning into that. And just, just one more thought about that it, for people, whether regardless of their faith or listening, is that when we feel like there's this moment when, when Jesus was preaching and then he, and, and he's preaching to people on the, on the beach, right? Mm-hmm. And then he gets in, in the boat. And he he draws out, right? He goes out and and he goes out with these fishermen and he tells them to go out, right? So imagine you're on the shore and Jesus has been preaching to you like right close, right? And then all of a sudden he gets in a boat and he goes offshore, but you're still there. You, if you want to hear him, you've got to continue to lean in, right? Yeah, Yeah. And and then what does he do but draw up from the ocean an abundant catch, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, one of the things when I feel like God is pulling away from me or something, or, I, or I'm like, hey, what's going on? Yeah. I have to remind myself that he's calling me out into the deep yeah, for amen. an abundant harvest, right? Amen, amen, amen. Yeah. Thanks. That's good. That's really good. That's really good, man. That's, for, that's true right there, man. But it's hard to... It's hard to <laughs> You know, sometimes it's hard to even, you know, having been walking with the Lord for going on 11 years, it's hard to remember that. You know, yeah. Walking that, you know, yeah. it's, so, it's yeah. so true. It's, it's true, you know. It, it takes, you know, truth is hard, right? Like yeah. truth is not easy to accept. You know, like, like the things that made you a Navy SEAL. Yeah. Were tr- was a hard truth that you had to accept, right? Yeah. In order, yeah. you know. So tr- like, that's the thing about truth. It's not easy. Like yeah. people, people want the nice side of truth, but not the, the difficult part of truth. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, and in order to walk in any way to excel in life, we have to surround ourselves with a community of people that are, are wildly curious about us, that can hold us accountable and that Amen. can, can uh, correct us, you know, when, when, we're, when we're veering off path. My friends, here we are nearly five months after the initial launch of Master the Key, a story to free your potential, find meaning and live life on purpose. And the book and the message of the book continues to transform lives and make an impact. So right now I want you to hit pause and head over to Amazon and pick yourself up a copy or two of Master the Key, a story to free your potential, find meaning and live life on purpose. But as usual, I always love reading recent reviews to to remind you that it's not just me who's saying this, but people who are actually consuming the material of the book. And this most recent review comes in from Gustavo and he says it's not your typical business book. I loved Mike's book mainly because of the style of writing. It's a story that keeps you up late because you just want to keep going. It allows you to connect with the characters and create the natural introspection. Don't get me wrong. There are some activities to reflect upon the key learnings in the book too. 
a quick read and highly recommend. Thank you, Gustavo, for that beautiful review. Thank you for picking up a copy and for sharing it with yourself and others. Now hit pause, head over to Amazon, grab a copy or two or 10 or 100 and share them with those that you love. In the meantime, back to the show. Going back to your Navy SEAL path for a moment. So you got into the Navy. At what point did you hear the phrase Navy SEAL? Uh, well, I, 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 when I watched the movie, I watched a movie called The Rock years earlier. and that's when Oh, I yeah. Sean about. Connery. And, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's when I, was, I first heard Nicholas Cage. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, and so fast forward, when I got to boot camp, there was a Navy SEAL came. Uh, it was, I think, it was, it was just protocol. You know, they, uh, all of the recruits is what they call us. They have, they we all get exposed to the different different programs in the Navy. So when you get the boot camp, you know, you get, you know, a, a swick. We call it a swick. A swick guy comes to your boot camp division. It's part. Of, it's part of. I don't know. Not indoctrination. It's part of. Uh, I don't know. It's like one of those things where you know you go from auditorium to auditorium and this guy comes in and he explains, well, this is an opportunity. Well, this is, and then you go into another room, this guy explains the GI Bill. Well, this is the full sign of GI Bill. If you sign up for it, you'll get to go to college for free. You, got to go, you go into another room and well, they, they just try to, to let you know all opportunities in the military. And so the SEAL came and he was just, he just did a presentation. Well, this is an opportunity. There's any, there are any guys who are interested in becoming Navy SEALs. Here's the program. Here's what you got to go through. And he showed his videos. Uh, well, he showed his same video. It was really, really cool video. And I was just like, man, like, I, I would like that dream kind of reemerged in me. And I was just like, man, I want to be a seal. Like, I want to be a seal. Like, that's what I want to do. And, uh, and, 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 and immediately after watching the video, he gave, he gives tryouts. So essentially the tryout consisted of a test, which was, uh, 500 yards. But, well, in order to, to, to uh, qualify for the trial, you have to pass, you have to have had a certain academic score. We call it ASVAP. Um, and it's an academic test that you take in order to get into the military. And, you know, depending on your score, that dictates what job you can have. So, you know, the guys who scored high enough were able to try out. Uh, I didn't score high enough, so I wasn't able to try out. And even if I was able to try out, there's no way I would pass the test. <laughs> so it was like a 500 yard swim, which I couldn't really swim at all. And then it was, uh, it was like a run and, and push ups and pull ups and sit ups. And it was just no way I could pass. So all of the guys who, who, who wanted to go try, they went off and, and did the tryout. And now I was like, the guys had no interest in being a SEAL or maybe they qualified like me. And I was just like, man, like I hate it. And I was like, man, I wish I could be in that group. And I wish I could be in the group of guys and get an opportunity to try out and just go to SEAL training. And uh, so after I after I graduated from boot camp, went to A school, and uh, A school is like the school that you go to for your specific job. So I was a we call it a corpsman maybe, um, but I was a medic. So I mean it's the same thing, medic corpsman. We yeah. just call it, I don't know why we call it corpsman, but <laughs> we call it corpsman. And uh, but it's a medic. And so um, after corpsman school, uh, I got stationed in Naval Hospital Camp Pendleton, and it was there where I was just like, uh, I'm going to be a SEAL, like. I don't know. I'm going to well, get into SEAL training and I just started training man, like every day, um, not just, you know, physically, but academically, you know, running to the pool and trying to learn how to swim. And, and, and that's, you know, after a year of checking in uh, into my first man, I was checking out and going to SEAL training. I met every qualification 
I needed to make in order to 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 to, to get accepted into the program. So, um, and it, it just took a lot of. And, it, and the cool thing about that is, man, like looking back, that's just a, a lesson that that I learned at that time that I didn't even realize that I learned, but just kind of instinctively became part of my nature. And what I do now is, you know, on, on the world tour, you maybe you are going to have deficiencies. Like it's, it's going to happen. Like sometimes your deficiencies might be minor. It might just be like a, a small deficiency or your deficiency might be major. I think most times on the road towards our dreams, the deficiency is major. Otherwise, we want to call it a dream, right? We yeah, just, yeah. Oh, I'm going to do this, right? But we call it a dream because a dream is something that's way bigger than us. And, and it takes a lot to achieve that dream. And, you know, in order to achieve that dream, when you have deficiencies, you just have to do that extra, extra hard work. And that's what I did every day. You know, I just, every day, like, sucked. Like, for that year, every day of my life just sucked, man. Because it's like, I'm getting up, I'm going to work in an hospital. I had four hours off in the afternoon. And I'm like, destroying my body working out like learning how to work out at the same time because I never really worked out consistently and then I'm going to work four hours in the evening going to sleep and doing the same thing all over again every day you know Monday to Friday and then you know I didn't have a car so I would have to run three miles to the pool you know jump in the pool try to run out of swim run three miles back and you know I didn't have anybody to you know tutor me so I, would, I had to buy these you know ASVAP for dummy books and just read and study and read. I mean, I, every day, man, it was just hard, but I just, I just did that work. And, you know, one plus one equals two, man. I did all of that hard work and that led to me getting accepted into SEAL training. Um, and, and it was unheard of because typically at the time and even now, you had to be at your first command for 18 months at a minimum before you could even start the application process. You know, and there I was, a year after checking in, I was checking out. I had met, met all qualifications. So, wow. Yeah. You know, one of the great equalizers uh, that I've read about and heard other people talk about as it relates to SEAL training is the water, right? The water yeah. can, the water is the great equalizer. You can be a great athlete on the ground, yeah. you could be super strong, but as soon as you get on the water, it like t- changes everything. Yeah, it changes. Um, yeah. What was your, when you, what was your first? First long distance swim, like not in SEAL training, but like when you were training for yourself, like when you're like trying to push yourself, yeah, you can build up the mental toughness because ultimately that's what you're going to need. Like, what was your first swim like? Like swim to learn how to swim, or like long distance swim? Yeah, well, when you were you're pushing yourself, yeah. So, like I've I've I I grew up I grew up by the ocean here yeah. in Santa Cruz, you know, and you know I'm comfortable in the water. But even when you put me in a pool, and you get me swimming laps, and it's really challenging. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah, it was. I mean, day one was sucked. You know what I mean? <laughs> because <laughs> like, like I'm, I'm not moving. I'm, I'm like exerting all of this energy and not going anywhere. And I'm like, it's, it was so easy to give up because it was so easy to say, you know what, dude? Like, you can't even get a quarter of the length of the pool and you're smoked and you're trying to get in a seal training. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And well, seal training is swimming miles, right? Yeah. And uh, nonstop. And, you know, there were times of, there were a lot of times of discouragement, man. There were a lot of times of, you know, questioning myself where I was just like, man, can I really do this? And, and the answer was always yes, you can. You just got to keep pushing. 
What, how did you how did you how did you quiet those naysayers in your head? Man, look honestly, looking back, I don't know. I just I think I just think that I'm such an extreme person. I've always been such an extreme person. You know, that, you know, when I commit to something, there is it doesn't matter what I say to myself, I'm gonna just keep it. I think I, I think you know, and I think a lot of that kind of goes back to my mom. Um, because my mom, you know, she, after my dad died, we had a hard life, like a really, really, really hard life. And uh, my mom could have easily given up, given up many times. Like, when I say give it up, my mom could have just said, you know what, I'm going to find a husband. My mom's very attractive. I'm going to find a husband that married that has money to take care of my kids, to help me take care of my kids. But she didn't. Like, my mom, like, she's still single to this day, wow. you know, from, since my dad died. You know what I mean? And, uh, and she's a very attractive woman. Woman, you know, um, she just she just chose to to do the work herself and to mm-hmm. you know to do the extra hard work. And so I, you know, through osmosis, that became a part of my nature because I saw it day in and day out in my mind, like giving up, giving up, like that that just wasn't part of my vocabulary. And uh, another thing my mom would do is she would make my brother and I, you know, read New York Times articles and write reports based off of the articles. And if they weren't like near perfect, she would make us do it again. And it sucked, you know, because here I am like six, seven, like I want to go outside and play with my friends. And my mom was making me read a New York Times article and write a report on it, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so <laughs> like that kind of, you know, not only did that help me as a writer, but that just helped build up my perseverance, you know what I mean? Where I was just like, all right, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm yeah. going to write I'm not going to quit. Cause my mom wouldn't let me quit. I mean, it was just, she wouldn't like literally like if there were times in my life like you were going to sit at that table all day long and my mom was a person of her word so when she would say you're going to sit at that table all day long and write literally i would be at the table for eight hours until i finished it like that was just the my mom <laughs> didn't play like seriously she didn't play like to the point where my butt hurt from like sitting just from oh sitting. man you know I mean? and uh and think about it, man. Look at my kids. They'd be so easily distracted now. I was a kid who would always get easily distracted in the daydreams I was writing. So I, I, that, that just added more time. So fast forward to when I was you know, struggling with swimming, it was easy for me to keep pushing because of all the things that my mom had instilled in me and mm-hmm. what I had seen my mom live through mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and how she kept on persevering. So it was just like, it's weird, but it's, it's kind of like when you grow up in a house it's where your parents speak Spanish, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, if, when you're 20 years old, somebody's gonna not, they're gonna, they're not gonna ask you a question. So, how'd you learn how to do Spanish? Was it hard for you to learn Spanish? Because it's like, no, I grew up in a house where yeah. my parents spoke Spanish. So it was, I just naturally learned Spanish. So it, was sec- it, was. it was second nature. It was second nature. Yeah. It's it second nature. And to this yeah. day, it's still just second nature. You know what I mean? Perseverance. Yeah, I love yeah. that. And, and when I have like, when I have obstacles in front of me, like I know that like I'm dealing with an obstacle right now. <laughs> like, I know I'm gonna achieve that obstacle, I'm get over that obstacle, but I know that it's gonna suck. Mm-hmm. Because I know myself, I know I'm not gonna quit. And I know the work mm-hmm. that it takes to overcome this obstacle. Mm-hmm. And and I, I know I'm gonna do the work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Do the work means it's gonna suck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense, but no, it totally does. Cause I mean, it's just like anything worthwhile doing requires work. Yeah. Whether it's mental, physical, spiritual, and and it's 
work is not, you know, it's not like most people aren't, you know, whistling while they work. They're grunting, yeah. you know. Yeah. 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 You know? Yeah. Speaking yeah. of uh, of grunting and obstacles and all of that, you know, y- you obviously one of the 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 middle stages in becoming a seal is buds. Yeah, and uh, and you had a. Uh, a buds instructor named Andy Stump, who's from my hometown, yeah. Santa Cruz, California. There's a handful of seals from from Santa Cruz, and yeah. um, Andy's one of them. I haven't met him, but one of my I work out at CrossFit, and the guy that owns my CrossFit is close friends with Andy. Oh, cool, cool. And um, is he a seal? He, he's not. He's he used to be a DEA agent. Okay. Um, his name is uh, Greg Amundsen. Okay. Um, but uh, I would love to learn. How much torture Andy inflicted on you and Buds? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was actually, um, and if my memory serves me right, he was my proctor. Yeah, he was my proctor. He's my uh, proctor for second phase. So he kind of was like in each phase of training, uh, every class, one of the instructors becomes your proctor, which is like your liaison between the instructors and, 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 and your class. And so they kind of have to be somewhat nicer to you because um, <laughs> they are the liaison. Uh, but at the same time, like if you mess up and they hand you more, and so yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he, he didn't play, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember we. Uh, it's this if you this is punishment where if you spell if if you have so many infractions, it spells out the word Jaka. So if you like, if the class as a whole like has a major hiccup, then you get a letter. So the first letter is J, and then it goes, and then you have another major infraction of class O and C K, and then the last two letters are U P Jaka, and um, and it's very seldom that a class gets all the letters because if a class gets all the letters, it's a historical beat there. Because literally, you get hammered with with dive tanks on your back. The whole class, it's like a bad situation. Oh my and, gosh! Uh, and he had no problem, you know, giving a, allowing the instructors to give us letters. That's <laughs> 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 what the fact that you guys got another letter keep getting closer to to, to UP, you know. So yeah, but all in all, he's great. He was great instructor, great instructor, great guy. <laughs> like a lot. what did? You know, obviously, in the process of learning anything, whether it's learning to become a SEAL, learning to be a writer, learning to be an actor, learning to be a husband and a father, mistakes are made along the way. Um, Today, when people make mistakes, that often stops them from proceeding in, in the path of growth that they were on. Yeah. What? Has making the what is failing taught you about growing? Uh, it's an important part of growing. I mean, you can't grow without failure. Um, you know, people ask me all the time, Revy, uh, if you could go back and 20 years and tell your teenage self or, you know, something, you know, that would help him, what would you say? And I would say nothing. <laughs> I don't want to say anything at all. One, because I know that my teenage self would never listen to me, even if I came from the future. <laughs> I was that much of a knucklehead. I wouldn't even listen to myself. And um, two, all of the mistakes I've made, the hardships, the setbacks, the failures, I mean, all of that stuff, 
made me who I am today. We learn through pain. I think we as a human species, you know, there are different, like we can learn in multiple different ways, but I think the lessons that stick with us the most are, are painful lessons. You know, very, very painful lessons. And I don't mean literally painful, like smashing the hand with a handle by mistake, but I mean like, you know, even emotionally painful, you know, uh, mentally painful, um, financially painful. Um, pain teaches you because you don't want to endure that same pain again. And uh, I, I have endured a whole lot of pain in my life that I and a lot of most of the pain that I have endured that I inflicted upon myself uh, unconsciously. And, um, and, but I gained so many great lessons, you know, that, that, you know, even to this day as a husband, as a father, as a writer, as an actor, as a businessman that, you know, I'm, I just instinctively apply. I just intuitively apply without even recognizing it because I don't want to enjoy that same pain again, you know? So, uh, it's important for growth. I think it is. It really is. This episode is brought to you by the Lawton Marketing Group, a full-service advertising and design agency specializing in websites, social media, apps, logos, and more. Based in Oklahoma, they work with clients across the nation from small businesses to large corporations and everything in between. You can find them right now on the web at www.lawtonmg.com or call them at 580-275-2063. Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. Just tell them the Impact Entrepreneur told you to call. One of the things that you've done, obviously, since leaving the SEALs is you've, you've taken your... Uh, your experience both in life growing up, your experience as a SEAL, and you've created a creative outlet for, yeah. for that. Yeah. And I, I noticed this trend like among a lot of SEALs, like mm-hmm. where they they're they're SEALs are becoming these great co- creative people. Yeah. You know? What yeah. yourself, you know, Jocko, there's a bunch of like people who writing, you know, thriller novels. Yeah. What, what ties all that together? I mean, you would, I would, I don't think it's necessarily a given that people yeah. would assume that these warriors would become these great creators. Well, that's a great question. I mean, um, just looking back, I would say, well, I would, I would, I would just kind of look at it like this. Uh, let's see. I'll give three answers. Make them all be wrong, but I'll just give them. Uh, <laughs> no wrong answers on the important. The, the, the first thing I'll say is, you know, when you look at uh, at any given time, they could be around twenty five hundred Navy SEALs that are active, right? Um, but in reality, when you, when you mention names like me, Jocko, John Carter, uh, uh, Carr, other guys from writers, it's only a fraction of of, of of creatives. It's only a fraction of us, you know, who are doing creative stuff. Um, you know, the reason why I think, you know, maybe the entire team are being painted in that light is because of the fraction. People say the fraction, say, oh, well, also, it's like this one. It can be true, it may not be true. Um, uh, second answer I'll give is um, in the SEAL teams, you're trained to be creative. You know what I mean? We have a saying, you know, we train, we train, and we train for contingencies, which is like, you know, we train for the worst case scenario, like the scenario that we don't even know is going to happen. And then we train for flexibility within that scenario. 
So we're having to create on the fly. Um, every SEAL is trained to be an independent thinker. You know, obviously it's a team-based community, but, you know, everybody is, is, is expected to bring something to the table from a creative standpoint. Um, when you're even in training before, you know, when you're training as a platoon to go on a training operation where you're going to go after bad guys, which is as an example, every guy within the team is expected to stand up and give a brief on what his job is going to be and how he's going to fulfill that job and, 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 and how that job relates to the bad guy or the overall situation, right? So, so we have to be creative, um, you know, in that sense. And so I think we're just part of being a seal is you just, you just learn how to, you know, this is saying we have this movie right now, it's in my head for a second, just jumped out, but uh, um, you just learn how to create on the fly, you know, uh, or flexible. That's why, you know, one day you could have a SEAL team doing a direct action mission. Another day you could have a SEAL team doing a FID, which is more an internal defense training on the guys. Another day you could have a SEAL team doing a human, which is human intelligence, collecting information, the same thing that the Army uh, SF guys specialize in. Another day you could have SEALs doing a you know, long swim, you know, a STD type operation uh, from the water. You know, this, I mean, the word, you look at the acronym SEAL, SEAL stands for sea, air, and land. So we're trained to be flexible and creative and all these things. And over the course of, of, of the last 20 years, we have, I mean, even before that, over the course of, since the SEAL teams were created, the SEAL teams come from the UDT. You know what I mean? So when you're thinking, you know, um, UDT, you're going, you know, World War II era. And then you even go before UDT, I think it was like NDECU or something like that. So we've always been transitioning and and, 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 and recreating ourselves into, into into where we are today. You know? um, so I think that that's just within our DNA. And but you know, speaking now at a personal level, I was just trained from a young age to be a creative. You know, my mom exposed my brother and I to the arts. And I mean. She would take us to the Metropolitan Museum of Natural History. Um, she would she she would take jobs at art galleries and museums just so that we can go for free. I mean, so we grew up going to the Schomburg. You know, she would you know when she could get some money put aside, she would take us to plays. They weren't the best seats, but they were just seats. Um, and when she would get free tickets, she would take us to plays. She was always exposing us to the arts. Um, and I mentioned earlier how she would make us write. You know, to me, writing is art. Um, so I grew up as a writer. Um, so that creative piece had always been there. Um, so when I got out, it was just natural for me to, to just do that, to just mm-hmm. be a creative because all my life I've been a creative and then being in a seal team, so I was a creative. Um, and, uh, so yeah. So. I think one of the things that stands out to me that you just mentioned is, is training creativity. And you think about like the SEAL teams who have an objective or any organization that has an objective, right? And the, and the, there's this idea or this mantra that, you know, go all in, don't have a plan B, you know, you know, burn the boats, right? Type of attitude, right? But at the same time, like that doesn't function when in a, in a chaotic situation, which is life, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. like you might have a planned objective based on, the information that you have available to you and you get there and the scene and the situation is completely different and you have to adapt, you have to overcome, you have to you know, have a different way to tackle it. So when you think about now as an entrepreneur, right? Yeah. T- 
taking all of the the training that you had in terms of you know contingencies and a creative adapt- adaptation how do you deploy that today in the business sense i, I don't understand the question how do you <laughs> how do you how do you tap the creative training that you uh-huh. had as a as a navy seal the ability to to adapt on the fly to an ever evolving changing situations without having to burn the boats, right? Because burning the boats is a bad idea because you might need those. Well, I, 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 I honestly, I do hope I haven't burned the boats, like mentality. Um, okay. Whereas, you know, and I, and I think even as a SEAL, we would train to have that mentality. And I could be wrong, maybe I shouldn't speak for all SEALs, but I think going back, when you look at SEAL training, um, the guys who, who have a plan B don't make it. Uh, and you know what I mean? Like it's it's a program of survival. It's a program where you're literally storming the beach, and the guys who who are like, all right, I'm gonna run to the post, aka the bell. <laughs> yeah, they ring the bell, right? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, uh, like the guys who make it, the guys who go in, they have no other options. Now, that's the way I was in SEAL training, and, and as you go through training, you know that just becomes more and more more prevalent in other aspects of training, where it's just like. When you look at the dive test, you have to do pool comp. It's like, I can't come off the air. Mm-hmm. If I come off the air, I fail. Mm-hmm. Like, literally, I can't, we call it F- FSA. You know, because you this is one dive test you do where your underwater and instructors, they hit you on your exhale, not on your inhale. So you exhale all your oxygen, breathing on an open circuit rig underwater. You exhale all your air, they swim down to you, and they tie your holes in a knot, spin you around, destroy your gear. And you're on a breath hold, and you have to make a decision. Do I give the, uh, I forgot what the signal is, but I, oh yeah, do I give the slash signal? Which means, wait, wait, if you give that slash signal, a, a, a diver on standby oxygen gives you the oxygen you breathe and you fail the test. Hmm. What do I figure out? And uh, I was just talking to a kid two weeks ago who um, went to SEAL training. He just made it through hell. He just failed pool comp. Got kicked out of steel training because mm. he, he couldn't he couldn't figure out how to get his gear together under stress and and and, and so that he can you know get to his own ear and survive. Mm. And so he failed four times. And he got kicked out of steel training. Now he has to go through two years and and hope that he'll be able to come back and start day one all over again. Right? Wow. So again, you know, I think. It's just naturally ingrained in us through training to kind of burn the boats. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, we have a saying in the teams when to fight. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it's not, okay, we're going to go in and our contingency and lose a lot of guys. We're going to, you know, uh, stop trying to win the fight. No, it's win the fight. Yeah. We even treat a guy, win the fight. You know, right. we have a saying, self aid, buddy aid, corman aid, which means if you get shot and you start tre- treating yourself, then once a buddy can get to you, he'll start treating you. And then once the corpsman of the team can get to you, then they'll start treating you, right? Mm-hmm. But the, the focus is when the fight. So in my everyday business life, I still have that mindset. Like, yes, I need to be flexible and need to be creative. But if I start a writing project, there is no plan. There is no, yeah. I can't finish yeah. it. I'm going to pass it off to another writer. Right. Or I'm going to stop midway and just pick up another writing project. Yeah. 
and then start working on that writing project. Yeah. So I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, it does. It was not a very good worded, it was a poorly worded question, but you actually did answer it. Um, and, and, what I, and it comes down to preparation. Yeah. It comes down to a decision to win the fight and to, you have an objective writing a book, you know, starting a business, and you study the field around you and you understand what's, what the environment is and you prepare yeah. in it to win regardless. No, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, preparation, I think preparation is key in business and everything. You, you know, it's funny. Um, I speak a lot. I do it like I was actually doing about speaking last night, you know, at a men's event. Um, I do a lot of time. I was speaking this weekend up at a retreat in, um, in uh, Sacramento. And as a matter of fact, that's why we, I was trying to have our, our, our talk be around that time. Uh, and one thing I found about speaking is if you're not prepared, then you're going to be stressed. Mm-hmm. The more prepared I am for the talk, for talk, the less stress. And if I'm very prepared, there's no stress at all. It's just like, mm-hmm. I'm going to go up there and do my thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But the less prepared I am, the more stress I have, you know, because it's like, oh my God, I'm going to make a fool of myself. So mm-hmm. when you're prepared, you know what I mean? You know, Jocko talks about all the time, just the freedom, you know, part of being, you know, being prepared is being disciplined, essentially. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and the more disciplined you are, the more freedom you have to do what you mm-hmm. want to do. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, you know, and you know everything I do. Now I'm currently this writing project now that I've been working on for since January. It's a it's a it's a fascinating story, and uh, it's required not just preparation beforehand, but a lot of preparation throughout the process. And what I mean by that process, what I mean by that is research. You know, mm-hmm. I'm writing writing a historical historical film, and uh, I've been having to do tons and tons of research and. Uh, I find that it's been so fluid and easier for me to write. It, well, I find that it is more fluid and easier for me to write the more information I have because of the research I've done beforehand or in the moments. That makes 100%. Sense. Yeah, totally. I am also an author, so I, I, I can appreciate the, the grind of, of preparing and, yeah. and all of that everything that goes into writing a book or a screenplay or anything, it's, it's, yeah. it's definitely um, a gargantuan effort. You know? yeah. <laughs> um, as we, as we begin to wind up the conversation, I, I always ask the same three questions to, to conclude the conversation for every guest. But before we get there, I want people to know where they can go and connect with you online. I love your Instagram. Yeah. And also, I'm going to tell people that they should definitely follow you there. Yeah. Uh, where else? Uh, yeah, I'm on Instagram at Remy Adelike. Uh, I have a unique name, so I don't have to have the official Remy Adelike or anything like that. <laughs> so it's just my name, Remy Adelike. And then, uh, yeah, so Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, um, LinkedIn. Um, uh, yeah, my, my, uh, my book is my book, Transform, which is my memoir. Is, um, you can find that on you know, uh, transformstory.com. Uh, but make it simpler. You just go to Amazon and type in transform. <laughs> Barnes and Nobles, or where you wear books are sold. And just to just if you if in, in case you doubt Remy's bravery, he just recently swam across the Hudson River and he's yeah. still alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How yeah, many yeah. vaccinations did you have to get in advance of swimming across? The river? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I hope I, I hope I had enough, but uh, <laughs> I did take three showers afterwards. Oh, sure. I bet you did. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Well, you know, actually, the, the last question 
that I typically ask is how will you measure your life? But you've already answered that in the in the beautiful book that you've written called Transformed. So okay. I'm, you know, people need to go. We can answer that question by by yeah. having them go buy that book and read your powerful story. Um, that and, and it will breathe life into them. The word inspire means to breathe life into, and your yeah. book definitely does that. So yeah. we'll conclude today with just two questions. Mm-hmm. The first is. If you could pick any skill set that you currently have and turn it into a superpower, what would it be? Uh, any skill set I turn it, that's a good question. Any skill set I currently have and turn it into a superpower. Well, you know, I do, you know, I get this from my dad, but my dad had this ability to just memorize things. That's why he's so intelligent. He, you know, he, he just can memorize things. He was savant. So uh, I've been blessed with that where, it, you know, I'm, I'm horrible with names, but I'm great with faces. I'm great with directions. My wife will, my wife will, uh, will be in a car like you were in Maui like years ago. And then we went back like two years later and like, I just knew exactly where it is. She's like, hey, She's like, yeah, I have a great memory. You just remember things like that. <laughs> and uh, uh, um, I you know, memorize a lot. I even memorize my talks when I, I try to memorize as much of my talks as I can because I hate using notes when I speak. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, anyway, I think that's a skill set that I have. And, you know, if I was uh, able to turn to a superpower, I would, you know, have a way I just kind of like the matrix. I just, you know, Get a download. Get all that, man. I know everything about it. <laughs> oh yeah, that'd be pretty rad. That'd be pretty yeah. rad. Because knowledge is power, right? Knowledge is power. Yes, knowledge is power, and and power is influence for sure. Yeah. Um, next question is: What are three lies that we tell ourselves that prevent us from realizing what we're truly capable of? Uh, three lies we tell ourselves: uh, Because of my past, I can't have a future, or because of my past. I can't do X. I think that that's that's a big big lie. Um, your past means nothing. What what it is, your past. Uh, you don't have to allow that to to, to be um, the template for your future or the edict of what your future could be. Um, so that's the first thing. The second lie we tell ourselves uh, is. Um, I would say there's no hope. You know what I mean? There's no hope. Like, I'm hopeless. There's always hope. You know what I mean? Um, um, you know, for me, my hope lies in Jesus. You know what I'm saying? And, 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 and that's what helps get me through some days. Um, and, and, but there's, there's always hope. You know, you just have to strive for it, uh, search for it, uh, believe in it. And, uh, and that's what will get you through. So there is no hope. That's, that's a lot. Uh, and then uh, the last one I would say is, um, and, and this is fresh in my mind because I had a conversation with somebody about it yesterday, um, but I'll kind of give some context to help answer the question. But this woman, I've kind of, kind of, I don't want to use the word mentor, but I've kind of spoken into her life. She reached out to me yesterday and she's like, oh, I'm just, just so hopeless because of my son is a drug addict he's just mad i keep you know she helps him out to get drugs because she feels bad and she doesn't want him to go out in the streets 
So she gives him a place to do his drugs, you know, screams at her, curses her, that she she does all these things. She's just like, you know, I I don't know what to do now. And um, and so what I said to her, I was like, listen, I said, you can help a person so much that you're actually hurting them. No. I said, you can help a person so much that you're actually hurting them. Because you're enabling him to keep doing what he's doing. You know, I told her, I was just like, honestly, you need to put him out. Like, you, you, you need to stop supporting him, even though could, you know, I know you're doing it out of your intent you rather support him in this way so that he doesn't rob a school or do something. But you're enabling him. You know, let him fall on his face. And so the lie of we could save, we could save people, you know, um, who, who are, who don't want help. Mm-hmm. You can't, you can't, you know, something again, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going to answer this more with a statement than a direct answer, but I would just say, you know, the lie that that you can help everybody. So I said, I'll just say, you know, you can only help a person so much that you're actually hurting. That mm. makes sense. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Remy, this has been a powerful, uh, inspirational conversation. I'm so grateful that we had the opportunity to connect and look forward to connecting more in the future. Thank you for joining us on the Impact Entrepreneur Show. No, thank you. And thank you for having me on. Thank you for your flexibility. Once again, I apologize for that last week. <laughs> you bet, brother. You bet. Thank you to this week's guest and thank you for listening. If you missed any of the key points and highlights from my conversation, we've got you covered over at theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash podcast for show notes to each and every episode. And while you are there, check out Flynn Wealth Strategies and Insurance Solutions. You can do that by visiting flynnwealthstrategies.com. The Lot Marketing Group and the Podcast Masters. We could not do this show without them and with all of their support. Now, until next time, go make an impact.